The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Having a baby can be a time of profound joy and great upheaval for parents. It involves physical and mental challenges that require mums and dads to adjust to dramatic changes in routines, sleep patterns and roles. So today we speak with St John of God Hospital consultant psychiatrist, Dr Harrison, who specialises in perinatal and infant psychiatry to talk about perinatal mental health. So what do parents find most challenging about becoming a parent? So there's several challenges, and I guess it's not made easier at the moment with all the COVID situation and separation from interstate and overseas supports. Um, but most families, they, they, you know, there's a lot of families with very difficult working arrangements. And although they've had an idea to have a baby, it's, it's coming at a time of great uncertainty. For all parents, it's a transition to a new role. So um, they're learning new skills, they've got new routines, and all the while they're trying to make a new relationship with someone. So everyone's challenge is individual, but some of the aspects that can be demanding, such as sleep and feeding, some people find very challenging. Um, The important message for most parents is that they do eventually find a way through, but there can be bumps in the road and it just takes a bit of time to get used to it. And what about the psychological challenges of becoming a mother that that you've seen in your practice and and meeting with so many mums and dads over the years? Mm. Once again, I mean, it's a very individual thing for each mother and some people take to that and find it quite fulfilling and and, um, satisfying straight away. But sometimes the pregnancy or delivery have been complicated and the delivery um, may still be quite present in the the mind of the, the mother. Um, for some um, parents, there's a level of anxiety, particularly when they're first-time parents, which is very normal as with any new role we encounter. Um, in that setting, sometimes, you know, psychologically, we can set very high expectations about routine and always wanting the same, um, which can e- inevitably lead to feelings of disappointment, sadness or anxiety. Um, lots of rigid should-have-tos and musts psychologically similarly don't equip mums with the necessary flexibility for this period and if their baby will fit into their life and finally becoming a a parent or a mother inevitably makes you reflect on your own parenting experiences and relationships you've had with your own mother and most women are working out what they want to take from that what they want to leave behind and family stories do influence the new ones that parents are creating as well. And do you think we do that really unconsciously or consciously because hearing all those things that's a lot in our mind going on when you're trying to wrestle with a little newborn isn't it it is really and um so it is there is a lot going on for parents as they make this transition um and i think a lot of it is done unconsciously yeah and we can just end up with a whole lot of anxiety at the end of it (laughs) and what about um when you were talking about the birth wasn't what we expected it to be, that would really play into when you have a baby that's born prematurely or ends up in in, in an ICU situation and mm. it's nothing like you 
thought it was going to be. Yeah, and that is the experience for parents that go through that. I mean, premature delivery is obviously very stressful. It's Mm. a crisis for the family. Um, And it changes the pregnancy completely from where we were expecting it might go. Many women are left for weeks trying to work out um, why they've um, delivered prematurely. Um, And often they fill that with the feelings of their own inadequacy or guilt, which obviously they need support around. Um, Niku's doing an amazing job, but the environment's actually quite stressful as well. And it's all um, very medicalised. So your baby feels very vulnerable. It's hard to establish your own relationship with that baby, given there's a lot of um, caregivers around you. And a lot of expectations about feeding and and different ways you've got to change your role around the baby, which are hard to come to. Um, Overall, we know the needs of the um, parents that deliver prematurely are quite different and we really do need to support them. The rates of anxiety and postnatal depression in this group can actually be up to about eight times higher. Um, and that stress can really last for some, some time. But the good news is that mental health support has been shown to really make a big difference and outcomes for these parents can be really good. A lot of the um, programs that have been developed are based on NICU. Um, They will come and work at the bedside with parents and really um, support them to develop a story about what's happening for them. It's, um, you know, it's all as I say, been a crisis. So they're really trying to put it together there and then. And also just to really work with what they're seeing in front of them and the developing relationship with their babies. So, yeah, there might be a period where they have some psychological support in in hospital, but also when they make the transition home, which is often, you know, very anxiety provoking. Yeah. So that would mean going and seeing someone in a clinic and having sessions and things like that. Yeah. And then when they turn you know, the the term perinatal mental health, what does that actually mean? Um, I know that seems like I'm asking you to spell it out, but all these medical terms can sort of come across as, you know, postnatal, perinatal. You know, what when you um, say that someone has a perinatal mental health condition, what does that mean? Yes, we always talk the jargon <laughs> and it's really hard for everyone yeah. to understand. But basically it's... Um, it really refers to emotional well-being during pregnancy and the year afterwards. And I guess it's a discrete period because of some of the challenges that are inherent in that. Um, it may mean um, a spectrum of disorders from depression, anxiety and adjustment disorders to, to less common and more serious um, conditions such as psychotic disorders. Okay. And what's the most common then? Is it mainly depression, anxiety, what you see in the general population? By far the commonest that we recognise is depression, anxiety, um, up to 15%, sometimes 20% in some surveys of new parents. So how does a perinatal mental health condition, whether it be depression, anxiety, differ from when you're pregnant to suffering those conditions when you're not pregnant? Yeah, so, I mean, in many ways, a lot of it's very similar, but there's specific challenges during this period which can make it look a little bit different and feel a bit different. Um, it's actually a really high-risk period for onset of these disorders. The year following the birth of your baby is the highest risk period for a woman in her life to develop depression and anxiety. So there's an increased incidence of mental health disorders in this time. The other thing is people considering what do I do about medication? It might Mm. be a more straightforward conversation outside the perinatal period, but people are very um, aware that they want to use these medications safely and how they impact on their own pregnancy and the baby as well. 
And then I think there's specific psychological challenges. So, you know, um, anxiety and depression might centre more around your tro role transition or your identity as a mother or the fundamental things that you need to do to look after a baby. So although the challenges may be different at other times for depression and anxiety, certainly there are a lot of the themes that come through. And are there risk factors that make you a higher likelihood of suffering a perimental health condition? So, for instance, if you've maybe you're, you're aware that you've had those chats with your mum and your mum suffered from postnatal depression, are there risk factors that really we should be mindful of that could put us at more risk? Well, I think um, certainly a strong family history of some of the disorders, and particularly if they've occurred in the perinatal period, can be a risk factor. But I think the important message is it's not inevitable because some mm. people will become extremely worried when that has been um, part of their family history. Um, there is sort of particularly disorders such as bipolar disorder or psychosis are ones that we, we look out for in the postpartum period because we really strongly suggest specialist care because they can be at higher risk of relapse of those disorders. Complicated pregnancies are particularly, I think, a risk factor. As you can imagine, in the antenatal period, you've had a lot of challenges with medical symptoms such as nausea or vomiting or perhaps diabetes, or there's been uncertainty about the well-being of the baby. So, I mean, that really, you come into the postpartum period having had a very stressful period. Social factors are big as well. I think, you know, work and unemployment and mm. uncertainty at the moment is quite a big issue for a lot of families that I'm seeing. Partners, mental health and, and the degree to which you can get a social network at the moment to provide help and support for you, including extended family of a lot of families that live overseas. So um, that can also be a risk factor. And then I think, um, you know, sometimes if there, you've grown up with a complicated family history or you've had your own challenges along the way, that can be something that you do reflect on as mm. you come to this new role of being a mother. And if you're listening to those risk factors and then you're thinking, oh, that's me, or seeing yourself in those risk factors, what what do you suggest, you know, in terms of being proactive? So you hear those risk factors mm. and you think, yeah, that feels like me, that's how I'm mm. feeling. Would you, is it better to be proactively seek that support you know, when you start identifying with those risk factors? I think so. I think, you know, fundamentally establishing a good relationship with a good GP in the mm. um, antenatal period is always helpful and talking that through with them. Um, you know, what we do see, unfortunately, is mental health disorders are often left um, and at a lot of them present really at one year of age with the baby and at that time patterns have become quite chronic and you've gone through an awful lot of distress um, that perhaps we could have gotten helped quite a bit earlier. The other um, piece of information to get through is that it's a good news story. I mean, yeah. you know, because you have the risk factors, that doesn't mean you're going to go on and not have um, good mental health during this period. Yeah. And I think if you get in there early and start addressing some of the things that might lead to stresses, um, you know, people do very well. And are there period. good organisations that you can sort of reach out to, like that they could go, get online? I mean, everyone's mm. on this online um, world that we live in. Yes, yeah, there's a lot. And um, Pandas is, is Panda, you know, yeah. it's well established that it's um, it's been working in that space for a long time. Gidget Foundation as well and COPE. So there's a number of national organisations yeah. that have got a lot of information. Beyond Blue have got a lot of 
um, information you can access as well online. And it's something you can do discreetly, isn't it? You can do some research. Yeah, and, and it and starts there. But I would encourage then making that next step to, to going to your GP and yeah, having a chat. Having and, and in the postpartum period, perhaps your child health nurse. If you've suffered a mental health condition like anxiety, like you've got a, you know, depression or bipolar, does it actually make it worse when you become pregnant or life after your, with your little baby? Does your condition get worse or can it get so, worse? So some women who've had depression, anxiety have, you know, done a lot of therapy previously. Yeah. They've got a lot of resilience and, and good coping strategies and they apply that during this time. So once again, it's not inevitable that this is going to worsen. Um, it is a stressful time and it is a challenging time mm. with lack of sleep. And I think that that's why it's important to get in early and really make an individualised plan around your management for that. Um, certainly there's some good evidence coming through that if we get in and treat the depression earlier in the antenatal period, then we, that really does help um, to prevent depression in the postnatal period or a relapse of your depression in that time. So that is a good news mm. story. Being proactive, it can actually, um, as you say, build your resilience and, yeah. and, and make an actual uh, a positive come out of this situation. Absolutely. And I've said women that have had very difficult um episodes of depression or anxiety with their first baby and then they've come in very proactively with that second pregnancy, um, made a plan, decided what they're doing with their medication and it's gone so smoothly. If only we treated our mental health support like our physical health, mm. you know, like if you're a diabetic, you go, right, I'll need these things, but mm. it's having that same, um, what is it, that I suppose Mind that same around. mindset mm. around, okay, this is what's going on with my mental health and I need to have all this support or have a plan mm. of what, what my management looks like to make me feel better. It absolutely. I mean, I think that's where we just need to put stigma and the rest of it aside. It's really no different, you know, starting with diagnosis, what's going on, let's work yeah. it out and, and get in there and the treatments are very effective. So what are the signs when women really should reach out for help or men? You know, is it this you know, if you're not sleeping or are there sort of signs that we manifest and, and start seeing that, okay, these are little signs I need to reach mm. out for some support? I think, you know, look, it can be a period where you feel quite exhausted at times and, and not always enjoy every aspect of that. And I think that setting that expectation is sometimes not realistic. But um, I think when every day sort of starts to become a bit of a chore and you're feeling overly exhausted, you're not sleeping independent of the baby, sleeping, and um, you just have a lack of closeness in feeling connected to this whole experience, it is worth starting to think about, you know, could I make this a better experience for myself? Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of women will have challenges with lactation or breastfeeding and, um, you know, that shouldn't be a completely uncomfortable experience all the time. And so once again, it might be time to seek out professional support, whether that starts with a lactation specialist, your child health nurse as well, who will then be able to have a conversation with you about mental health issues. And once again, if it gets to the area of, you know, you're starting to feel really hopeless about this situation, well, then that's definitely time to reach out. Family, partners, um, you know, child health nurse might become concerned as well. Mm. And I think it is worth listening. Worry, anxiety, you know, not having great days. We all have them, whether you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. When is it not 
a normal worry or it's not normal anxiety because I'm sure having a baby is extremely anxious, of, especially if it's your first, what to expect and things like that, and it's all very normal. But when is it borderline like, oh, I, I really need to seek some help? Yes, I would agree. Like, I mean, when you're a first-time parent, it's normal. It's a new role and it's it's um, very normal to feel uncertain about what you're doing and takes a time to develop your confidence. But when we develop anxiety, it's really a much more persistent um, experience of that. And many of my women will describe that they feel quite distressed or they feel awake at night or they have specific symptoms of anxiety, such as having panic attacks or ruminating again and again about one issue or another, particularly with the baby. Um, there may also be sort of a lot of thoughts about wanting to prevent harm coming to your baby or that, you know, worries that the baby's wellbeing might not be going particularly well. And that can also then develop into a whole lot of checking and mm. rituals around the baby as well or limiting, you know, diet and this and that. So I think um, anxiety, when it's an anxiety disorder, starts to look a little bit different and it comes down to the level to which you're feeling distressed by these thoughts and feelings all the time. And they become exhausting. So if you've gone into a pattern of behaviour that becomes exhausting? I think it's behaviour, but it's also just, you know, what what's going on for you emotionally every day when this experience of being a new mother. I think it is important that we have some radar yeah. of how we are during this period. Sometimes you sort of are in a bit of a storm for the first, you know, few weeks and it is very tiring yeah. and the rest of it. But I think try and carve out some space in your day just to, to reflect on how the experience is going for you. And as I say, like a lot of, um, because of the busyness of this period and people relegate their needs and the rest of it, it is um, more common for us to see late presentations. Right. But we do know that if we get in there early, we could really be helping this and getting it right on track straight away. So I think getting some exercise where you can, um, yeah. even as you say, just going for a walk each day is such a good idea and just connecting with the outdoors and not just always with your head and the situation at home. Um, and I think also mother's groups and support in that way are really, really important. Social isolation can be a real factor that propagates depression and anxiety. And going to a group and hearing that there's common struggles around some of the things that you might be experiencing, I think, are really important. And that they've been shown to really help people? Yes, definitely. And there's, you know, there's ones that come through the child health nurse, but there's also more organised ones, such as um, Mother Nurture is a structured play group that's oh, available. Right. So the, and, and there's actually specific ones for situations such as prematurity as well. So I think just coming collectively together and getting a shared understanding of this yeah. experience is really helpful for a lot of parents. I had a girlfriend who um, had a, a baby with a heart condition and mm. she has had so much um, so much support from heart kids and, mm. and meeting other parents who's got children mm. that were born with heart conditions. So, yeah. yeah, I can so, totally understand how those support networks and new friendships have been developed through it. And Yes, and I've worked with the cardiology ward there and it is, it's an amazing organisation and they do um, provide a lot of just really helpful information that, you know, this is going to be a really anxiety-provoking period for you. And hearing that other parents have got to the other side of that, I think is very helpful. Yeah. So. And then what about, I suppose there'll be a lot of, 
people out there who have, I don't know, been massive achievers, particular mm. women that have, uh, you know, professionally who might just think, oh, I'm, you know, might dismiss those feelings and think it'll just go mm. away. It's just, I'm, you know, I suppose we might justify, find ways of justifying, mm. I'm just tired, I'm not mm. sleeping well. Do they just go away though? Look, my experience would be that they don't and, in fact, they become worse and they do um, start to impact on your sleep and it, the level of um, uncomfortableness really goes up as time goes on. It, we do use our usual coping strategies at the start, so if we're used to working harder and faster mm. and more like that, then we will try and do those things to try and make it better. But unfortunately, it only works for a period of time. And, and once biological symptoms come into the picture, such as, you know, not sleeping and the exhaustion, which is associated, or the mental exhaustion as well with ongoing anxiety, it, it, it really is important to allow yourself permission to seek out professional support and get some help. And so a lot of the, if you have to, or it is recommended a a prescribed medication, whether it's from your GP or from a psychiatrist, mm. that um, it's safe? They have safe medications for, um, you know, particularly if you're breastfeeding or it's during your pregnancy that you can um, yep. take? Yeah. So that's usually the first question I get asked yes, about medication imagine. in pregnancy and breastfeeding. And I guess I see a subset of women that come asking that opinion as well quite often. Mm. And Yes, like the evidence would say there's, it's really um, very safe. There's a number of medications we've used for a long period of time that, that have not been shown to cause any background risk to malformation or anything like that in pregnancy. And a lot of them aren't excreted in very high rates in breastfeeding anyway. So, mm. so it is important to have this conversation because I think there's a lot of myths out there and, and once again, stigma that's propagating not using these medications, which we know are very effective and people would use at other points in their life. And I suppose the TGA wouldn't have approved them for use in pregnancy if they weren't shown yeah. to be safe as well. Well, there's always been limitations around studies in pregnancy, but but there have been large um, databases and studies done now in this area. That so shows absolutely yeah. safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably more unsafe not to consider them if you really need them. And it's a spectrum, you know, so yeah. if you've got mild symptoms, you may start with psychological therapy, but there's certainly evidence that the combination approach of medication and psychological therapy can be more effective. And can you come off it? So meaning if over time you feel start to feel better, can you work with your GP or with your psychiatrist ways on coming off medication so it's not a lifelong Oh, absolutely. Like, so I, any medication you go on is just for a trial period. And, you know, often women, if they've only had the one episode, this will be a discrete period of treatment. Yeah. Um, other women have had used medication for longer periods in their life and they may decide to stay on a little bit longer. But the majority of the women I see are off most of their medication by the end of the first year. Um, some are on for only a few weeks um, wow. in that time. There are the more um, disorders such as psychosis or bipolar where um, the medications are used very much in the maintenance of these disorders and most of these women will have experience of having used those for a period of time. Okay. And then who diagnoses? So if, um, I mean, hopefully, you know, one of the 
reasons for creating these podcasts is education, trying to get people off maybe diagnosing themselves via Google. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, when you actually, who is it your GP, is it a psychiatrist? Who's actually diagnosing you as having a perinatal mental health condition? So there's actually most um, obstetricians or most specialists now and midwives as well as some of the public hospitals will um, screen for mental health disorders with standardised screening tools. Um, and so if something comes through on that, that might indicate that you are having more symptoms than, you know, we considered. Um, beyond that, I think general practitioners are often a first port of call. Uh, maybe also when you're in hospital that one of the nurses notices and, and they've got a wealth of experience of seeing how people are adjusting to these things as well. What if you've got a mum who just says, no, I don't want medication, I've never had to take it. Have you found there to be effective treatments that aren't, um, you know, a, a non-medication? Certainly, I think patient choice and autonomy is really important in this area. And, you know, that if a woman decides that that's not the approach she wants to take, and some women will elect to do that and perhaps even try it later if they want to. But um, I think, yes, psychological therapy can be really effective, individual therapy, CBT, um, and then group program therapy. So there's a wealth of you know, different modalities of treatment that you can try. Yeah. Just get out there and do one Give of them, I think. And what about CBT? Where is that appropriate? And which of the medical mental health conditions is that shown to be really good? So particularly in the what we call the high prevalence disorders, so depression and anxiety, and specifically around um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So we'll use techniques that come from that school of um, psychology as well. So, I mean, that most um, psychologists will be trained in that and can work with you with that. There's a number of other therapies that are used in this period, such as interpersonal psychotherapy, which will target more the communication between the couple. Um, that can also be really effective. And a lot of mindfulness-based strategies during this time are very effective as well. So there's a... And I, I suppose it all comes down to... Um, those sessions with the psychologist and, and yeah. with psychiatrists yeah. and they'll figure it out, that journey together. Yeah. So, I mean, psychiatrists will often use a combination approach of, you know, you can be offered medication. Some of my patients will be solely managed with talking therapies that I do with them. So, And it's important for people to hear that because they don't want to mm. always think, well, if I see that person, they're just going to put me on medication. Do you think, do you yeah. get people that think that? I think that sometimes that is the perception people coming through the door, but I don't think that's reality. And I think, you know, um, perinatal psychiatrists are very aware that women want choice in this area and they want to know that they're being heard. And, um, and I think, you know, the treatment psychologically can be very effective. If we look at parenting strategies, can be very effective as well. And then what if you don't receive treatment? Um, what happens in terms of can it have an impact on the woman's and baby's mental health short and long term? I find that generally um, women are very diligent and they're working really hard on their relationship with their baby and even though their mental health is suffering, most women will put that need last. And so in most cases, the relationship with the baby is really very good. Um, they also, the baby will have other supports around them, such as their father or, you know, other extended family. And so, 
you know, babies get through this. Um, but I do think that if we get in there and help with the depression, help with the anxiety um, and other disorders, that it really doesn't just take that slant the whole time, the relationship, that we can actually make it more fulfilling for the mother and, and satisfying and, and a more enjoyable experience. And what about the bond? You know, do they think, oh, my, I've lost that opportunity of having that bond with my baby during that time? Look, when women are very depressed or very anxious, they can feel quite withdrawn and in themselves. And they do really worry about that. And they worry about that disconnection and the feeling that they can have from the baby. But that comes back. And after treatment, you know, women are, are back on track and we've got lots of opportunities to get that going again. I've worked in mother-baby unit settings and we've had group programs around working with the relationship with the baby and definitely um, you know as the women start to improve you just see that shift and there's a shift in terms of feeling more comfortable with the relationship with the baby but also just starting to enjoy them and see them without the anxiety and the overlay of the depression. So what about the latest research what what are they telling us about or what's the research telling us about perinatal mental health? So of recent time what we some of the larger surveys are coming through showing that there is quite a delay to seeking treatment and one of the larger ones showed that most of the mental health disorders are really not diagnosed until a year, which is a bit of a worry, so we need to work um, harder on trying to get in people earlier. I think um, some of the relationship-based therapies are really moving as well. So um, there's very effective parent-infant relationship-based um, therapies to work on attachment. We know that some of the treatments around bipolar disorder are very effective and stop relapse in early pregnancy and, and people are, um, have been publishing quite a bit on that lately and, and having really good outcomes as well. Um, we're always building evidence all the time about safety of medications in pregnancy. So that's coming through in the research. And I think just the only thing, I've just attended the Infant Mental Health Conference and people are starting to talk about specific models of intervention around families affected by COVID and, mm. the, and the trauma of the last couple of years that we've all had. And I think that, you know, bringing family, a uh, baby into this period is something that people are researching a little at the moment too. And then you're talking about um, we need to try and w improve being, you know, trying to get to mums and dads um, earlier. What's blocking it? Is it us blocking reaching out for help or what can we do to improve that? I think definitely um, just being real and honest and having a conversation with your GP early on and just putting, you know, preconceived ideas aside and stigma. Um, I always say just try and find kindness for yourself during mm -hmm. this period rather than judgment because um, I think that women just, um, when they do start to feel these symptoms, A, they don't always know what's going on, but B, um, you know, that they, they give themselves a hard time around it. So I think just trying to be as kind as you can to yourself and seeking treatment and going and talking openly. These spaces are very confidential. You know, GPs are there to help you. Child health nurses play a really important part in this as well. They're seeing you in this early period and they will um, do some screening as well. So I think if they are making the suggestion to go and see someone or talk further about it, perhaps taking that up. Yeah, giving it a go. Mm, yes. Yeah, because sometimes it's um, even the first appointment you might not 
feel like you get what you need, but is it mm. giving it a, mm. a good shot, meaning a few appointments and see what help. And there's psychologists and people, as you say, that are just want to work in this space, that mm -hmm. this is their space that they mm. uh, specialise in. So maybe seeking those particular, whether it's psychiatrists, that this mm. is what they do, and psychologists, that this is the area that they work in, would yeah, you recommend? The, co the COPE website has sort of a service directory and, okay. and you will be able to access, you know, a number of um, people from different disciplines who are mm -hmm. interested to help you. Um, but I think that the most women that come to seek help are actually um, really satisfied after that first appointment that they and they're so happy that someone's able to tell them what's going on because it's often been very confusing, frightening. Um, that it's a difficult experience that may be the first time they've ever experienced any mental health difficulties. So um, I find that many women are um, very, Relieved. Relieved for having a label of yeah. what's going on and, and being able to think that there might be some effective treatment going forward. It must be hard sometimes too with Instagram and all those and you see, you're seeing the best of a situation and so there might be some mm. mums, new mums on those that seem like they're coping and everything's, my life's great and then they look at their own and they think... <laughs> yeah, I think the comparison trap's not very helpful and it can get into that sort of And have um, you seen dynamic. that in your practice? Yeah, or? certainly mums will come in feeling quite yeah. inadequate when they're spending a lot of time on social media and doing the comparison and I think that that's not real life. No. And, and, you know, for many of my women, it's very common to have struggles in this area. Everyone struggles with something. You know. I suppose that's why the groups are good because mm. it's... It normalises. It normalises. Yep. It makes it. Yep. Yeah. In terms of baby blues, is there ways that, you know, if you suffered at the first pregnancy, are you more likely to suffer it with your second? So baby blues are pretty common for everyone, actually. I mean, around day three to five after delivery, around the time when your milk is coming in, it's actually very common to start to get a bit of a dip in your mood, which is transient for a few days. So that's what we mean by baby, baby blues. blues. Okay. Yeah. So is it hormonal then? Or? Well, they felt that it's probably got some hormonal changes contributing to that. Obviously, you're a bit tired by that period as well. So, But many women will sort of then start to pick up with their mood after that. So if you then get down the track and mood doesn't seem to be lifting and sleep's, you know, deteriorating, then it's probably moved a little bit beyond baby blues. Trying to be realistic in your expectations and for yourself. I think as people get anxious um, or they get, um, can, you know, uncertain about things, sometimes they can set the bar higher and higher and, and be more rigid and, and less forgiving of how things might be going. So I think don't read a thousand and one self-help books. Mm. Just trust yourself that, you know, and set those expectations at the right level. I think um, trying to have a kind stance for yourself rather than a judgmental stance is really important. If you do have a past history, well, then it might be worth seeking out early on, as I say, in the pregnancy and then just re really reassuring yourself you've got a plan in place if, if things do unfold. I think with the partner, having clear communication, family having clear communication, and that always is very helpful as well. And so, yeah, the expectations from your external family, what what do you need and what supports do you want? And Would that also mean also boundaries too? Because do you find that sometimes 
perhaps people, family or even friends might overstep boundaries or being very clear of what they are for you or what your needs are? Well, I find that most families are very excited to meet the new baby and and very keen to help um, the family. And not always, but it's usually like that. And I think you're right. Like it's just having those boundaries early and also allowing, if you're a grandparent listening to this, allowing the family just to work their way through it and establish their own way of being. We always have lots of ideas around how it might be or how it should be. But I think it is important for them to gain their own confidence and have their own sort of take on what they want to do with being a family. things have changed too. I think women are putting enough pressure on themselves yeah. anyway. And so I think hearing um, someone else's solutions are not necessarily their solutions. Yeah. How can a family better support you after having a baby? So I think the main thing as I was alluding to, is probably just listening to them and seeing what the needs are. It can be really practical to have some extra support in that postnatal period, really practical support such as meals and the rest of it are still, you know, always really appreciated by most families. Um, But I think not um, being offended also if the boundary does go up and and that um, there is a thought about, you know, I only want you to play this role in my life just at the moment. There's a myth that um, if you're experiencing it, you're failing. And I think that that's really important to dispel because, you know, what I find is women who are experiencing this are working so hard and, you know, they're not being kind to themselves often. So I think, you know, being very clear that, you know, we can have risk factors, pregnancies haven't always gone the way we wanted, might be in the situation of having a premature baby. So just trying to be kind to yourself and saying that, you know, for many people, these experiences would be hard. Um, I think the other myth is that medication um, can't be helpful. I think medication can be very helpful. And, you know, getting in early and getting things treated and back on track is great for, for the families I see. And then how do you be kind to yourself? Because it sounds lovely. But what are some ways to actually do that? I think that setting the expectations at the right level. I mean, as you say, some women have come from a pre-pregnancy identity where they used to be high achieving, that they've had to be very goal orientated. I mean, part of the kindness is really just, you know, you're you're setting up a new relationship with someone. It's not actually a, a job that you have to perform at the top level. And I think that that's very important. Um, you know, also knowing that it's normal to struggle, like to not know, to not, to feel uncertain. So normalising some of those feelings in it as well. And then I think the kindness also comes from not setting very rigid expectations. So lots of should, have tos and must. They just don't work. I mean, the situation with babies is ever-changing and you do need to be quite flexible in thinking about that as well. I think um, generally babies are very different. They're like all of us and they're very individual. So um, although it is good to have some idea of how they develop and what some of their needs might be, I think applying those very rigidly, um, it's not going to be helpful. (laughs) Is there any other messages that are important for us to think about? 
So I think we've talked about um, kindness and lack of judgment and realistic expectations. So that's my first one. Mm. I think they all come part and parcel. Um, secondly, I think that perinatal mental health is treatable, completely treatable. And in fact, getting in early will give you the best chance of getting in there and getting on with life. And the last one is just really around medication, that medication is safe during this period and can be really, really effective. And, you know, using a medication that you've used previously, if you've had a mental health disorder, can be done safely during this period. So I would hate women to walk away and think that, you know, they have a lot of distress or upset or it's been a really uncomfortable experience and that they can't have help around that. And what I picked up on before when you said that some people might be on it for just a few weeks, a few months, but most the data suggests that after a year some people are off it. So it yeah. just shows that it can be quite individual. Yeah, exactly. I think any management plan has to be very individual to your circumstances and what you need in this. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. A pleasure. <laughs> a big thank you to Dr Harrison for sharing her knowledge with us today on MediTalk and to learn more about Dr Harrison and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of MediTalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.